Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch. I teach Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. And I'm Rosie Candlethal, a Louisville fellow at Columbia Theological Seminary, where I also teach Hebrew Bible. The first reading for December 24th, 2023, that's Christmas Eve for those of you paying attention, is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, and hmm, verse 16. This is also the final installment of the Advent episodes we're recording live at Trinity Lutheran Seminary's Trinity Days. And so we want to say a special thank you to our live audience here in Columbus, Ohio. This has been such a big treat for us. Tim, you're running the anchor leg for us. So how do you want to set up this kind of final in our series of Advent readings? Yeah, so so this happens to be the only Advent first reading in year B, aside from the weekly Psalms. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, that is not from the book of Isaiah, but it is primarily at least the words of a prophet, the prophet Nathan, who appears kind of without any special introduction in this scene in 2 Samuel. Nathan's what we call a court prophet. He's on like permanent retainer as an advisor to the king, David in this case. And there's a bit of tension in this story between the pressure that's on him to be kind of a royal yes man versus being the voice for the Holy One, the God of Israel. Right. So there's this sort of weird tension in the story where Nathan starts out by giving a really enthusiastic, yes, do whatever's on your mind, David. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wait, actually, I checked with God and maybe that's not actually true in his answer to David, right? So maybe I'm getting a little ahead of things, but how about you help us fill in where are we in this biblical story of Israel? Yeah, yeah. So a bit of context. Um, This comes near the beginning of David's rule as the king of all Israel. His predecessor Saul has died, and there's this big tussle over who's going to succeed Saul. And in that, David has defeated all of his competitors, and he's secured the whole kingdom of Israel under his rule. On top of that, David has uh, fended off Israel's enemies, the Philistines, Uh, And along the way, he's captured Jerusalem from its indigenous Jebusites and made it his own capital. So um, as the text puts it, Israel finally has rest from its enemies and David has rest from his enemies. And to mark this occasion, David's moved the the Ark of the Covenant from its holding place on the outskirts of Philistine territory to this new sort of temporary tent shrine in the town of Jerusalem. So the lectionary text describes uh, at this point, David's desire to build a permanent temple for the Ark of God. And then there's that, uh, yeah, uh, no, not yet response from, from Nathan the prophet. In Nathan's extended response, which is the bulk of our lectionary text, God promises to build a house that is a dynasty for David, one that will last forever. Okay, that's a really helpful setup for this prophetic message that we're about to go into. So that kingdom that will last forever, that little bit there, it sounds a lot like the Advent text in the New Testament gospel reading for this week, Luke 1, right? Yes, exactly. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that her child, quote, will be great and will be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's a quote, right? Right from this text right here. Right. So so there's some in this um, an overlap or a kind of a talking back, a reinterpreting of the promise to David about his descendants and now to Mary and her descendant, Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you'll want to help take us through the second Samuel text on its own terms, right? And not just as the kind of prediction about Jesus. <laughs> How did you guess? Oh. Sounds, sounds like you've been listening to our podcast. <laughs> right? That's right. <clears throat> Faithful listener here. We always want to help people take the Hebrew Bible on its own terms, as well as keeping it in conversation with the New Testament. In this case, I actually think that paying closer attention to the Old Testament text helps us to understand some aspects of that New Testament Advent reading uh, in the way that it recycles this text, helps us understand it even better. Okay, so help us to be good recyclers here. (laughs) What are you seeing in 2 Samuel? Okay, so a couple things. Uh, There's some interesting wordplay that happens here in uh, 2 Samuel 7. So let me throw some of that out there. There's a key term here, the, the word bite which uh, is repeated eight times in this little text. This is the word house. Uh, But in this context, it also connotes a a divine house, a temple. That's the house that David, the bite that David wants to build for God. Nathan's message, uh, when he finally gets around to listening to God, is, is that God rejects that offer. No buy it for me, at least not now, not by you. And God counters that God is going to instead build a house, a bite for David. And this time, bite means a house as in a royal dynasty. Mm. And then there's some more wordplay in verse 10. And, and really, this is the key shift in the passage as I see it. God's message switches from talking about David and his future dynasty to what God plans to do for the whole people. It says, mm. I will establish a place For my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they will dwell secure and tremble no more. All those key words there, place, which is makom in Hebrew, place, uh, the verb to plant, nata, and the verb to dwell, shechan. Those are all words that are associated with the temple and with worship. So I think this message is ringing. The the words themselves are kind of tickling our ears with notions of sacred space and worship. Just as God plans to build a house, a bite for David, a dynasty, God is going to build a sacred space, a makom, a place, a kind of temple where the people themselves will be planted secure like the divine image that was installed in the middle of Mesopotamian temples. The people will be planted there and will dwell there, Shekhan. Maybe you've heard the term Shekhinah, uh, Shekhinah, the the dwelling presence, like the divine presence inhabits a temple. So in a powerful way, this prophecy isn't just for David, but for the whole people envisioning them as a kind of image or representation collectively of God's own presence in the world. They themselves are the temple of God's spirit, which is a theme that's definitely picked up in the New Testament, right? Wow. I mean, that actually really helps me hear some more of the resonance between what Gabriel's message is for Mary in Luke 1. 
Um, yeah. Can you tell us more about like, how, how are these um, texts speaking to one another, recycling from each other, developing new resonances for another audience now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really helpful thing that this does. So in Luke 1, uh, Gabe is emphasizing the political future for Mary's son, a restoration of the throne of David and, and an everlasting kingdom, drawing language from 2 Samuel 7. But seeing that biblical reference to Nathan's prophecy there in the in the voice of Gabriel in the New Testament is kind of um, meant to invoke this whole prophecy, not just the one line that's borrowed, right? And so it helps us to fill out the theological implications of what that throne actually means, right? The divinely established, secure vocation, not just for sort of just for Jesus as the representative of this line of David, but for the whole people who are drawn into this prophetic vision with the anointed one leading them. So the New Testament sees the community that surrounds Jesus as a manifestation of this ancient Israelite vocation to be a people of God in the world. Those of us who are Christians get joined into that calling, right, with our Jewish neighbors. Mm -hmm. And we help that dwelling, that shechan of God's presence spread to new corners of the world for the sake of justice and healing and compassion and love. It's it. it it's a broad picture. I love that. I think this is this is one of the payoffs of putting the testaments in conversation with one another to hear the overlapping conversation rather than just falling back on their prediction and fulfillment model. So the first reading, as you've kind of placed it, helps thicken the gospel reading by um, kind of supporting our consideration of the shape of Jesus's David-like throne mm -hmm. or his kingdom. And that that is really, as you're pointing us to, the forming of a whole community of you and me and everyone in this room who embody God's Shekinah, his presence in the world. And that is a, a profoundly important preaching angle, particularly as we consider Christ coming in the midst of Advent for Christians. I think so. It's certainly an angle that I'm finding very meaningful. Well, I think that sounds like plenty for our audiences there. Why don't we leave it there for folks to work with? That will bring us to the end of this episode and the end of our Advent series recorded live at Trinity Lutheran Seminary Capital University in Ohio. Thanks again, Trinity friends, for hosting us. First reading is produced by me, Tim, along with the inimitable Paul Essa and Rachel Wren. You can learn more about the podcast and find back episodes at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Spotify, maybe even on your local seminary campus. Until next time, I'm Rosie Candlepole. And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful Advent and Christmas. Yeah.